Amen. Tom was doing everything he could to be a good provider for his wife and kids. He worked hard and he was paid hourly. And whenever he could, he picked up some overtime, which was time and a half. And then on holidays, it was double. So early in their marriage, Tom had worked a lot of Saturdays. And he had also picked up every holiday, every holiday that he could, which means he often missed Thanksgiving dinner. He often missed Christmas morning, 4th of July. But their kids were older now, kindergarten and first grade. So his wife said one day, she said, maybe you should let somebody else take Christmas this year. It's not the same without you. And the kids are old enough now that they're starting to ask, where's dad? And Tom just looked at her and he said, honey, I'm working. Double time. It's, it's double pay. I'll be home at night. But his wife wasn't ready to let it go. She said, I know, and that's worked for us in the past, and I appreciate it, but our kids are growing up. Let's make some memories with them, because right now, their greatest memories of Christmas are that you aren't there. The, the work will always be there. You can come back to that. The kids won't always be with us. They grow up really fast. And Tom quickly realized she was right. As much as he wanted the holiday pay, he also realized that if he kept doing what he was doing, he would live to regret it. And so he decided to let someone else take Christmas. He decided he wasn't going to miss these opportunities anymore. He decided he was going to stay home. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Have you ever been in a situation where an opportunity is presented to you and laid before you and you had to decide one way or the other? You had, you had to make a choice whether or not you're going to take that opportunity or, or let it pass. Because John 5 is about an opportunity missed. John 5, we see Jesus' fourth sign as presented to us in John's Gospel, the healing of a man who is paralyzed for 38 years. And after being healed, the man had an opportunity to follow Jesus. And it seems like he missed it. Jesus still calls out today. Jesus still calls out with the opportunity to repent and believe in him. Salvation in Jesus Christ is one opportunity that none of us can afford to miss. Let's read the first 15 verses of John chapter 5 and see the fourth sign and take a look at this missed opportunity. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Beth- Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, 
get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Our passage begins, and the chapter begins with the words, after this, meaning sometime after the healing of the Gentile official son in chapter 4. We just got finished looking at that not too long ago. It says there was a feast of the Jews. We're not really sure which feast this was because there were several feasts. There were several celebrations that the Jews participated in. Probably not Passover because in the Gospel of John, when it's the Passover, he mentions that it's the Passover. So probably not that, but we're really not sure which feast it was. Regardless, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So he had been in in Cana, in Galilee, and now he's going up to Jerusalem. Now remember, Jerusalem is where the Jewish Sanhedrin was located. This is where the Jewish leaders were. This is where the Pharisees were. And this is where Jesus experienced, by far, his most opposition. And that's going to be highlighted in chapter chapter 5. Verse 2 provides us with a description of the location in Jerusalem where this healing took place. It says, by the sheep gate. Uh, If you have ever seen a map of old Jerusalem, then you know it's a walled city. Uh, they, they had uh, two dominating features, the temple, number one, and then they had the, the fortress of Antonio. This is where uh, Herod, it was palace were, and all the guards and things. So uh, the rest of the city was surrounded by a wall, and there were di- different gates that allowed access into the city, and they all had names. And this one was called the Sheep Gate. And it seems to have been named because of its function. It was located on the north side of Jerusalem, near the temple, and this is where people used to bring in sheep for sacrifices. So near this gate, just outside the city wall, was a pool or a couple pools called Bethesda or Bethsaida, and it says in Aramaic. Aramaic is very similar to Hebrew, uses the same alphabet, uh, has different dialectical and um, spelling differences. Five roofed colonnades, that just means covered walkways, this is the, the ancient Near East. It was hot. The, the sun was, was usually out. And so this was to provide shade around the pool. It says, In these, in the covered walkways, lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So people who were sick. People who had some kind of impairment. People who had a, a chronic incurable disease or disability. And in this case, it was an inability to walk. Now, if you have a footnote at the end of verse 3, it's going to direct you to almost an entire line of, of comment 
And it says this, I'm going to read it. It says, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepping first after stirring the water was healed of whatever disease he had. So that that line, that's a verse, is found in a lot of manuscripts of John. It's found in some early manuscripts, but it's not found in the earliest manuscripts. So some translations will include that verse, like King James, I think NASB. Other translations, like ESV and the NIV, do not include it. So that's why you have, if you look in your Bible, it just skips. It says verse 3, verse 5. There is no verse 4. But it's helpful because it gives us possible insight into why these people were lying around the pool. That makes sense. And why the man makes a comment about not being able to get into the pool when the waters are stirred. This, this fills in some gaps. I mean, there was some reason that these people were gathered around the pool and, and were expecting to be healed. So this may have been it. Verse 5 says, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. So John's now directing us. He's brought us to Jerusalem. He's brought us to the pool. And now he's bringing us to the actual man that that Jesus is going to heal. And he said he's been an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time. This was not a recent injury. Okay, the The man hadn't sprained an ankle last weekend. He'd been here for 38 years. He could not walk. At the end of verse 6, Jesus asks the question, do you want to be healed? Now notice he doesn't ask, do you want me to heal you? Because at this point, the man does not know who Jesus is. Jesus hasn't disclosed his identity. And for all we know, it seems as if the man has no idea who Jesus is or what he has been doing, any of his signs. So the question is just a question of whether or not the man has a desire to be well. Do you want to be healed? Do you want your life to change? Do you want to leave this place and never have to come back? And we might think, well, yes, uh, that seems pretty obvious, but we need to remember, in those days, if you were unable to work, if you weren't able to move around on your own, you begged which means you ate, but you didn't have to work. It's been said that a beggar often loses a good living by being cured of his disease. So the question, do you want to be healed, it's not always an automatic yes. Maybe the man has made peace with his inability to walk. Maybe this is his life now, and he's used to it. So Jesus asked the question, do you want to be healed? Now, not knowing who Jesus was or what he could do, the man replies, Sir, I have no one to put me in the, wa- in the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going, another steps down before me. So to the answer to your question, Jesus, the answer is, I'm trying. Yes, I'm, I'm making an effort. I want to be healed. I'm doing everything I can. And if we think about this, if let's say it was once a year that these waters were stirred, and let's say there was one chance every year for someone to be healed, and let's say the man had been there for all 38 years, that means he'd had 38 opportunities to be healed, and he missed every single one of them. That's got to be somewhat discouraging. Every opportunity the man had to get himself into the water has failed. 
Verse eight, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. That's a command. It's, a, it's an instantaneous, immediate, complete healing. It says, and at once the man was healed. At once he took up his bed and walked. This is a supernatural, miraculous healing by Jesus. That's why John included that detail about 38 years. This was no recent injury. This is a real paralysis. This is a real healing. This is a real miracle. And this is a real sign in John. This is the fourth sign authenticating Jesus' identity as the Son of God. It also points beyond the physical healing to spiritual healing. Jesus is the one that makes people physically whole, and Jesus is the one that has the power to make people spiritually whole. We don't want to miss the significance of the fourth sign. And that's in the end. That's really the end of the, the healing account. From here on out, we have uh, information about the opposition. That the, the event happened, there's the fourth sign, and now immediately we turn to Jewish opposition. Now that day was a Sabbath. Here we go. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Okay, so the fourth commandment does prohibit regular work and worldly business on the Lord's day. And I think that's probably what they had in mind. But they also probably had in mind their own law that they had put in place on top of God's law, almost as if God's law wasn't good enough. So the Pharisees had to put their own law on top of it. The fourth commandment prohibits regular work, worldly business that we would normally engage in during the week on the Lord's Day. And there is a verse in Nehemiah 13. We're not going to go there right now, but if you want to look it up later, Nehemiah 13 talks about the prohibition against carrying a load on the Sabbath. But if you look carefully at that context, it's talking about carrying loads of grain and fish and food and other supplies to be brought into Jerusalem and to engage in commerce on the Sabbath. It is not talking about the kind of carrying a load that someone would engage in in their normal course of a day in just regular life, like carrying a basket from one room of the house to another or carrying a jar of water to the table, or in this case, picking up a mat that you've been lying on and carrying it out of this pool area. He was not engaging, carrying, carrying his mat, his sickbed, was not part of his regular work or his regular um, engaging in worldly business. And Jesus had commanded it, so automatically permissible on both counts. He's not breaking the fourth commandment. But the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, had put in place this extra set of laws on top of God's law and their intention was to create this buffer zone. It, it kind of like if you had a, a really busy city street and, and your house bordered that street and you're, you, you wanted to let your kids out and there was a fence there right next to the street but that wasn't good enough so you built like this half circle fence right around your front door and you said now you have to stay inside that fence. So you can't really play in your yard. We want you to stay right here. That, that's kind of what this extra added man-made law was. It was designed to be a buffer zone, but in reality it was restrictive, it was legalistic, and it was doing something that Scripture prohibits. It's adding to the Word of God. But it was binding, and they enforced it, and that's what we're seeing. That's what this whole second part of chapter, or this second part of our part of our passage is saying. Well, they questioned the man. They directed him. The man said, 
uh, the man who healed me, that man said, take up your bed and walk. So this man was just granted instantaneous healing from a 38-year inability to walk. And the first thing he does is throw the man who healed him under the bus. That's, that's probably not a good direction to start off in. But I think this also highlights just how fearful the general population was against the Jewish leaders. We're going to see this again in chapter 9 with the man who is blind, who is healed. The general population of Jerusalem and, and the Jews in general were so afraid of the leadership and what the leadership might do to them that that fear was so strong that it had the power to turn parents against their own children. And we're going to see that in chapter 9. So here's this man who has just been healed, but instead of going to Jesus or, or, or saying, hey, did you hear me? I was healed. Instead, he said, that guy, that guy, he told me. He's trying to deflect their anger. Hey, don't look at me. It's that guy. Their response, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? They didn't ask, who is this man who healed you? A miraculous healing has taken place in their midst and all they can focus on is their own authority. All they can, all they can key in on is somebody's not doing what we say they should do. Never mind the healing. Never mind the, the physical wholeness that has just been granted to this man. And that's the nature of earthly, worldly rulers and authorities who, who don't have faith in Christ. They're, they're really not that concerned about the church or uh, faithfulness to God, or the truth of Scripture, or proclaiming the gospel, or making disciples, or or any of that, they're concerned about following man-made rules and submitting to their authority. That's just the nature of how the world system works. Verse 13 confirms that the man didn't know Jesus. There was a crowd. I, I don't know where he went. Verse 14 Jesus found him out, this time in the temple. So some time has elapsed. This was outside the city gate near this pool. Now they're inside the city in the temple complex somewhere. And Jesus says, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now what do we make of this? I mean, does it really mean what it sounds like it means? And the answer is, yeah, it does. What Jesus is saying is, you've been sinning. Don't do that anymore. If you fail to heed my warning, something worse than the 38-year paralysis is going to come upon you. That's what Jesus is telling the man. Now, again, when we get to chapter 9, we're going to have a clear illustration of a man who is born blind. And the message there is that physical illness does not, I repeat, not automatically mean that that person has done something wrong or has sinned or that their parents sinned or that there was anything uh, wrong. It's not an automatic indicator that a person is under the judgment of God. And we saw this in the book of Job too. If you were here for the book of Job, you remember Job was uh, a righteous sufferer. It, it, the book 
took uh, great lengths to show us that the reason Job was experiencing his suffering was not because he had done something wrong. It was not because he had sinned before God. Over and over it hit that. And remember, Job was a type that pointed forward towards Jesus Christ, the ultimate righteous sufferer who experienced all kinds of pain and suffering and did not deserve it. So the Bible makes it clear. There are times where it has nothing to do with, with sin, illness and, and physical injury. But this passage tells us that physical illness can be judgment. It's not automatic, but it can be, or in the case of a believer, discipline from the Lord. Verse 15, in response to Jesus' warning, the man went away from Jesus and reported to the Jews. He went to the Jewish leadership in what looks like an effort to please them, reported Jesus. I want to identify the man who did this. You asked for the man, here he is. This is the man showing where his loyalties lie. It's with the Jewish leadership. The man is not off to to a very good start with his recently gifted ability to walk at all. That's our passage. Let's, Let's give a helpful summary for this passage. In Jerusalem, Jesus healed a man who was unable to walk, but the Jewish leadership was displeased because Jesus told him to pick up his bed on a Sabbath. Jesus warned the healed man to sin no more or else something worse would happen to him than the 38 years of illness. In this fourth sign highlighted by John, Jesus demonstrated that he is the son of God who not only makes people physically whole, but also is able to make them spiritually whole. The man who was healed by Jesus seems to have been given this ultimate opportunity to follow Christ. And it seems as if he missed it. And and maybe you've read through this passage before and maybe you're kind of scratching your head saying, yeah, I, I don't know if I read it that way. I don't know if it's quite that, if he's really a bad guy here. Here's how we know. Uh, when we see genuine belief in the book of John, we see people uh, coming to him. Uh, we see people proclaiming and, and, and praising him. We see them identifying them, making some kind of witness testimony. testimony. Or we see them believing. And John says, and they believe. So here's, here's what we see. Look at this quick review. John 1.40, this is Andrew. We have found the Messiah. John 1.45, uh, Philip said, we have found him. Uh, the one whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote. John 1.49, Nathaniel said, the son of God, you are the king of Israel. John 2.11, his disciples believed. John 2.22, they believed. John 4.29, can this be the Christ? John 4.39, many Samaritans believed. John 4.41, many more believed. John 4.50, the man believed. And then finally, just on the same page, John 4.53, and he himself believed in all his household. So the reason we spent that moment just reviewing those things is to show us that when John's writing this, this book with this gospel, he's showing when genuine belief occurs, there's a response People want to be near Jesus. People follow him. People want to bring other people to him. They, they proclaim, this is the Christ, and they believe. And then when we get to John 5.15, what does it say? The man believed? No. Proclaimed Jesus is the Christ? No. Went away. He left Jesus, 
and he told the Jews it was Jesus who healed him. So he left Jesus, he went to Jesus' enemies, and he showed his loyalty to them. Let me help you ID the man who's disobeying you. Now, if someone just healed you of a 38-year inability to walk, do you think maybe you'd want a little bit more information about this guy? Or maybe you'd want to find out a little bit more about him. Maybe you'd want to thank him. Maybe you'd want to see if there's any way you can express your gratitude. Something. But instead, he went away from Jesus And he displayed loyalty to the leadership. He wanted to remain friends with the world. He wanted to remain friends with the world. So this is a case where we have to decide if this man was a good guy or a bad guy. Again, kind of like Job. You remember Elihu? He's the last of the friends to speak. Not one of the first three, but he's that last speaker before the God speeches. And we had to decide, is Elihu a good guy or a bad guy? Is he a preparatory prophet getting ready for for the word of God to come to Job or is he worse than all the other three friends combined? And whatever we decided about Elihu colored how we read that text. It brought some assumptions to the text. So it's a very uh, thin tightrope that we have to walk in order to decide is this a good guy or bad guy? And this guy seems like the bad guy. He missed the greatest opportunity he would ever be given. And instead of following Jesus, he walked away. So what's the application? Let's move to that. What, what do we do with this? Well, for unbelievers, I think it's pretty obvious. Don't miss the greatest opportunity you will ever have in your life to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is one opportunity you cannot afford to miss. God has blessed many people today with health and wealth and uh, strength and beauty and, and, and position and responsibility. And Jesus still calls out, see you are well. See you are attractive. See you are, are strong. See you are gifted. See I've given you a, a house and a, and a spouse and, and a stable job and, and children. See you are well. Now repent. Stop following sin and follow me. Or something worse is going to happen. And that something worse is an eternity in hell. Jesus still calls out today. He calls out to everyone. Do you want to be saved? Do you want your life to change? Do you want to be made right with God? Do you want to leave your sin behind and have to never go back to that place? of being under the bondage of sin, having that power of sin over you. And sadly, many answer, no, I don't want to be saved. I don't want my life to change. I don't want to leave my sin. I like my sin. I like not having to answer to God. I like my weekends. I like not having to come to church on Sunday. Why should I do that? I like my life the way it is right now. When presented with this opportunity, sadly, many miss it. Or, or they say, I, I don't need all that. I don't need Jesus and, and church and, and stuff. Uh, I'm fine. I think I'll be just fine because I'm actually a pretty good person. And I, I, I don't do a lot of the bad things that I see other people doing. And so I th- am pretty sure that when I die, God's going to let me into heaven. 
They're saying, I can get in under my own power. The man had 38 years of opportunities to get in the water under his own power and he failed each time. It's the same thing with trying to get into the kingdom of God under our own power. We can have infinite amount of opportunities. We're going to fail. We can't do it. We can't get into the kingdom of heaven on our own power. But for those who God calls, for those that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, opens their spiritual eyes to see their sin and their need for Christ, they turn in God in faith and ask to be saved from the wrath of God that is due them for their sins. And when someone repents and believes in Jesus, they are saved immediately. Uh, the, The text says when Jesus commanded him to get up and walk, it was immediate. It says at once the man was healed. When we turn to faith in Christ, at once our sins are forgiven. At once we are declared righteous or justified before God. At once we are adopted as sons and daughters and, and ushered into the kingdom of God. At once we are enjoined to unite ourselves with a local faithful expression of his church and start growing in our discipleship. It's immediate. There's no waiting. How many people have missed this opportunity of salvation through faith in Christ? Like the man who was blessed with healing but turned away to report to the Jewish leaders. Many intentionally walk away from Christ and join themselves in friendship with the world. Turning to Jesus in faith is one opportunity that no one can afford to miss. How about application for believers? I think there's something here for us. I think sometimes as followers of Christ, we can focus in on our own missed opportunities, the sins of our past. It's not uncommon for believers to be haunted by past sins, knowing what we know now, knowing how far we've come as believers and looking backwards. It's tempting to to look back and kind of dwell on and and think on and have regret about the life we lived before we came to Christ. To look back and think, if only I had known Christ. If only I could go back to being a kid and make a firm commitment and start living for Christ then, oh, how differently my life would be. If only I could go back to high school, at least. Or if only I could go back to my 20s or 30s or whenever we came to Christ. I mean, who among us here has not prayed to God and said, God, forgive me. Oh, how I would live differently for you, Lord. If we don't have a firm grasp on the fullness and completeness of our salvation, then our past sins and our missed opportunities will severely sometimes impact on how we live for Christ and how we live out our faith in Christ. It may severely impact the confidence that we have as believers. So this fourth sign teaches us that when Jesus makes someone spiritually whole, he makes them all the way whole. When Jesus physically healed the man, he was completely healed. When Jesus makes us spiritually whole, we are completely saved. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. To the uttermost, or completely Jesus made the man physically whole, nerves, 
muscles, tissue, blood supply, everything he needed to instantly go from someone who had not walked in 38 years to someone who could walk immediately with, with strength on strong legs. Immediately, at once, all the way, completely. Likewise, when someone is saved, Jesus saves them completely, all the way. Jesus didn't heal the man so he could kind of walk, but he still needed help getting up. Or, or that he could walk for you know a few feet and then he had to sit down for a while. Jesus healed him all the way. When Jesus saves us, we're not kind of saved. It's not that some of our sins are forgiven, but the really big ones are still kind of over there, over our head. Or that Jesus saves us temporarily or conditionally. Or that we have to finish off saving ourselves by doing a little work of our own. No, we are saved to the uttermost. In addition, Jesus gives us new life in him, a new identity. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because Jesus saves us completely and gives us this new identity in him, those sins or those missed opportunities are no longer counted against us. Your sins no longer define you. They are no longer a part of your identity. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. That's not how God remembers you. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the perfect moral righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your sins are gone. They've been paid for. They've been crucified. They're gone. What a difference this makes. Don't ever let the sins of yesterday get in the way of serving Christ today. They're gone. In Christ, they're gone. We have new opportunities each day to serve him, to love him, to love others. And as God lays these opportunities before us daily, grab them, take hold of them, seize them. Keep moving forward. Keep moving to the next thing that God has called you to do. Right where you're at, right now, there's always a new opportunity. This passage serves, first of all, as a warning for those who are not in Christ, don't miss the opportunity of a lifetime. It's actually the opportunity of an eternal lifetime. Don't miss the greatest opportunity that will ever be laid before you. You can't afford to miss it. It also serves, this passage serves as a reminder for those of us who are in Christ, we have a new identity. None of our sinful past is counted against us and every day is a new opportunity to serve him and obey him and live for him. Amen.